0: Back to the Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Hey, everybody. Doug Maurice. Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, letting Stephen Means recover from the big Sunday night announcement of Ohio State basketball number two seed in the NCAA tournament. We'll get into basketball more later this week. We actually have some good stuff planned for the Big Wednesday pod. We'll make our final four picks. We'll go through our bracket. Nathan, Stephen, and I will go through our whole bracket because even if you're not a basketball fan or a huge basketball fan, who doesn't love a bracket, Nathan? I mean, like that, I separate that. There is how your level of interest in college basketball. But that's separate from a lot of people's interest in the bracket. So we can go through, ah, I think, you know, this eleven seed is going to make the Sweet 16. And to some degree, Nathan, people get swept up in that stuff.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the people who are like us or like big sports fans who think they're going to run their, their office pool and just crush everybody with their intimate knowledge of college basketball, and then they end up losing out to the person that just picked – based on how much they like the mascots of of every school or the colors or whatever. And they just get emotionally devastated every spring. I feel like that's just part of like an an annual piece of American culture.
0: So we like culture, Buckeye talk. So we'll do that. Uh, But on this one, we're going to do in football. We're doing, should Ohio state consider a two quarterback system this fall that Nathan has written a really interesting piece at cleveland.com. Go read that cleveland.com slash OSU. And then we'll get into a little bit of what I teased on the, on the weekend podcast about a uh, Woody Hayes, Bob Knight thing that I thought was more interesting in the moment. The further I get away from it, I'm not as interested. So we'll do that a little bit in the second half, but also on the Big Wednesday podcast for our tech subscribers. And this is a reason to get in now on the tech subscription. We're starting another bracket following in the footsteps of our chain restaurant bracket. We're starting Gas Station Snacks. I don't know if it'll be 32 or 64. I'm also open to like 48 with some sort of level of play in games and some first round buys, depending on the, the, the suggestions that we get, they are pouring in from our tech subscribers. So I will create the, the regions. I will make the matchups and we will do a bracket reveal of gas station snacks on the big Wednesday pod. So it will be bracket focused. We also have spring football coming around the corner, so we have more Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud, C.J. McCord quarterback stuff coming later in the week, and we have, we're going to talk to Ryan Day. We're supposed to talk to Ryan Day on Wednesday. We'll have pod stuff on that. Spring football starts Friday. We're supposed to have interviews after their first practice on Friday. We'll have pod stuff on that. So, Nathan, we're going back and forth a little bit. Basketball, football, gas station, snacks, which I think is the right mix that we're looking for
1: on Buckeye Talk. I think this is the essence of Buckeye talk. Really, like this week, it's 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 basketball because it's at this juncture, right? It's because spring we have football to. starting. <laughs> yeah. Well, but not just because we have to, uh, because they're very good and they're they've, they they yeah. especially the way they played last last week, getting to the Big Ten Championship game, and and then spring football starting, and then all the drama that is kind of still hanging out there for that, and then obviously like you know combos versus. Um, pork runs whatever yeah
0: yeah so that's what we'll do i will say we have a new thing with our tech subscription and you can be part of it at 14 day free trial at 614-350-3315 and we'll get to a two quarterback system for ohio state here in a moment we have a new thing with our tech subscription where we can send out focused texts on certain topics and you can opt in on whether you want that subject matter or not everybody who signs up for our texts wants football, but we have had a great debate over time about how much do people want basketball or not. And this new system that the overseers who created this tech service have now developed is perfect for us because everybody who subscribes to Buckeye talk text is an Ohio state football fan. That's the definition of it. Many people are Ohio state basketball fans, but some are not, or some are, but not to the point where they want texts about it in their phone. But now if you want it, we've opened that up. Steven can go crazy a little bit like we do with football games. Steven's going to be all over this stuff in Indianapolis this week. So if you really want basketball, you're going to get even more. And Nathan, I, I thought it was good. More than half of our tech subscribers opted into the basketball techs, which gave us some sense. I think we struggle at times with, well, what is the level of basketball interest? It is certainly below football, but how far below is it? 20% 20% of Ohio State football fans want basketball stuff? Is it 85% of Ohio State football fans want basketball stuff? Nathan, in this way, it feels like it's about 50 or 60%, which I think is pretty good.
1: Well, I mean, you said we were having a little text thread, and, like, immediately we got a pretty big number, right? I mean, just within a yeah. few minutes of you putting that out, it was a pretty big percentage of our our audience and I, I thought that was interesting I do wonder like the way that that team played last week and we were obviously going to get in depth into basketball but like making that run you know knocking off Michigan getting to the Big Ten tournament championship game taking that game to overtime like I, I wonder if that like maybe helped even build that interest a little bit more maybe there's some people who believe in this team more than they were a, a week ago when they were on a four-game losing streak heading into the end of the regular season so Interesting team to watch here in, in the coming weeks, and uh, Stevens going to do a good job bringing you guys information.
0: The, the, the thing about Ohio State basketball is there is, like, maybe you're not as interested in, like, oh, this guy's shooting 29% from three-point range in his last six games, and he needs to shoot better for the offense to work. But there are a lot of Ohio State who you have pride in, right? You want them to win because they're wearing scarlet and gray. And if you are an Ohio State fan, if you went to Ohio State, if you grew up with Ohio State, if you've just over your life become a fan of Ohio State, you end up with some pride in that. So like right now, it's like even if you don't, you maybe can't name, you know, the nine man rotation for the basketball team. But it's like I want them to win and I want them, I want to know about how they're doing. So this is a good time. We're hitting you hard with the tech subscription stuff here at the top, which we don't normally do. It's just like a perfect time. And we've lost some people, but this is a time for us, I think, to gain some people. You send a text to 614-350-3315. You get a 14-day free trial. And over the next 14 days, you're going to get a a big heaping of Ohio State basketball in the NCAA tournament. And you're going to get a big heaping of spring football starting. Plus, we're doing a snack bracket only for texters. So like this, it's free. And like, so try it. And then if you like it, it's four bucks. If they make, get to the final four, you'd have to pay. You pay four bucks for them to get to the final four. It'll take you through the spring game. And then if you want to bail again, you can bail. So it's easy to bail. I don't know if that's a thing you should say about a product. It's easy to get out of. You sign up for four bucks a month. And if you're done, you just type stop. We don't try to trick you. We don't want to keep you by tricking you. We want to keep you because you like it. But if you want out, you want out, that's fine. So you just type stop and you're out and you stop getting charged if you sign up. So. I couldn't, I couldn't encourage any more than that. 614-350-3315. There's a lot going on. It is worth the money, especially because it's free. Buckeye Talk, just like this podcast. This podcast is always worth it because it costs you nothing. Although some would say being forced to listen to me rant. There is a cost to that, Nathan. Maybe not a monetary cost. Are you, you don't say. <laughs> but a cost deep down inside your soul. That guy's tearing me apart. All right, let's talk quarterbacks. You, Nathan Baird, want Ohio State to rotate snaps. You want C.J. Strouded on first down and Kyle McCord in on second down and Jack Miller in on third down. Why, Nathan?
1: Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> that, that may or may not be an accurate description of what I wrote this morning. It's not. Um, what I wrote was: Should Ohio State consider it? Should I, I think the better way to look at this is? Is the season opener a deadline? Does it need to be treated as a deadline for absolutely picking one guy and exclusively going with them until an injury or something else? Like it, Going with them in the conventional starter, backup, third string format. Somebody starts and they are the guy. If, if it, Now, I think obviously the, the best case scenario for Ohio State is someone demands that with their play. But if that hasn't happened, if it is a very close quarterback competition neck and neck, going into the season opener, does it make sense, at least early on in the season, to keep playing both as a way to keep that competition going? It's kind of like um, uh, training with live ammunition, sort of. So the point of that would
0: be that you haven't figured it out in spring football and in preseason camp in August. And I guess the question then is – The idea of using more time to figure it out, does it somehow lessen your chances of winning in the process? Because the idea is to win games. And I do think, and I wrote about this with the Browns recently, I do think at times sports writers and podcast people are capable of discussing quarterbacks as if finding the right quarterback isn't of itself the goal. Like, The goal here is to find a great quarterback. It's like, no. The goal is to win every game, and you are assuming that good quarterback play is really important for that. But that's two different things. And so I think it's possible that, yes, your your analogy, yes, live games will help you find the best quarterback. It's the best way to make that decision. But if it makes you lose the game in the process, what's the point of making the best decision to quarterback? Do you think, it could be detrimental to the team if they go with that approach
1: of continuing the competition in the games. Certainly. I think there's, there are, I think there are pros and cons to the concept. Um, I think I laid them out in the piece, but I, All right, but let's, the-
0: let's just use your own structure. Then let's use your own structure. Start with your pros. You don't have to read your piece if you don't want right. to, but let's make sure we let's like lay this argument out then. what are the pros to it, Nathan?
1: So the, the, I think the number one pro is just kind of what we've already touched on, which is, that brian day has already said he wanted to explore more like game-like situations this spring to kind of put these guys in more simulated live game experiences competition experiences than he normally would through the spring because you need to evaluate these guys not just what they're doing in um running routes and throwing passes it's got to be something more than that you have to get a, a better impression of these guys under duress under pressure so but he also said in that same breath, like, we have to know wh- – what was the exact – what was like? We have to know by the start of the season, but we won't know, or we, we're not going to know until they actually play games. So this would allow you, even if you think – and, again, kind of my, my concept was it would still have to be close. It wouldn't be one of these guys had made himself the clear front runner. If, if two of these guys, any of these two guys, you get close to the start of the season and you still feel it's neck and neck, that by saying, okay, well, such and such is going to play the first quarter – and the other guy is going to play the second quarter. We're going to we're going to balance it out like that because we're still evaluating which of these guys is the guy we're supposed to go with. This gives you an opportunity that you can't replicate in practice. I think that's like the number one thing, that if you feel it's close and if you actually trust them both to go play well and, and, and help you win a game, but you can't decide, especially under these circumstances for How State, which one you're anointing as the starter, this gives you a chance to – keep that going
0: all right this is the pros list so i think we'll keep we'll keep going on the pros list so i think i think that makes sense i have questions about that but what else are the so it's basically like you just can't figure it out so the pros are it helps you make the best decision because it's so close whatever decision you would be making before the season if you were like we have to commit to a quarterback for the sake of committing to a quarterback you feel like you wouldn't be sure that you would be making the quote right decision because it's so close you feel like how guys play during live games is like the actual deciding factor because there is not a clear guy who's ahead. So that's a pro just like, we can't decide we need more time and not just that it's more time. It's the best time we need this incubator. That makes sense. What else are the pros?
1: And, and it's also under the concept that like, are you better off getting, if you're at that point where you're just going to essentially be flipping a coin, that That's kind of the way I've, I was looking at that, right? That's in the background of, of this whole conversation. So right. the, the second part of that is sort of an extension of it. It's that Ohio State, the circumstances for Ohio State this spring, offseason, and fall are very different. I already wrote a piece about that. But there's been no other major college program in recent history, certainly one that competes at, at the level that Ohio State does, that's gone into the season with all of its quarterback decisions, all of its candidates having this little experience. We've talked about it ad nauseum you know nobody on this staff has has attempted a pass in a college football game that will not have changed by September 2nd when they're supposed to open the season so Ohio State doesn't just need to develop a starting quarterback and make sure it has a good starting quarterback for this fall it also has to develop a number two quarterback for this fall I mean it's got to have a if something happens to the first guy do you want your second guy if this happens four or five games into the season to go back to a situation where maybe they've still taken no snaps or, or scant snaps, like what you had this past season with what Jack Miller and CJ Stroud did behind Justin Fields. Now the schedule is more favorable to getting some of those other guys and a chance, if you're talking about like the third or fourth game of the season, but no guarantees. Um, And what if something happens sooner, you're then maybe putting yourself more flat footed. So it just gives you a chance to give that second guy real experience get him in in the first half of games even if it's just for a series or two get him up against a real defense yes you may even be causing you know that that back and forth is not ideal you cost yourself a little bit in continuity but is there a a longer term payoff by giving that second guy some experience and potentially even some confidence
0: so i think this is where we get into semantics which is one of our favorite topics here on buck I talk, but I guess I would argue maybe it's not semantics. I do think there is quite a difference between quarterback A is our quarterback, but quarterback B is going to play probably in the first half at least a series that matters for the reasons you just said because we need our backup quarterback to be ready. But everybody should know that quarterback A is the quarterback, and I don't care if quarterback B is eight for eight on a touchdown drive. Quarterback A is the quarterback. We will say quarterback B, awesome job. Oh my gosh, do we feel good about you? Be ready. We might need you. But if Ohio State put Gunnar Hoke in the game in the first half of the, of the first game of the 2020 season and Gunnar Hoke went eight for eight on a touchdown drive, nobody would have asked, is Gunnar Hoke going to be the starting quarterback? Now it's like, it's a ridiculous question to ask. No. It doesn't matter. He's the backup. It doesn't matter what he does. And it doesn't matter if Justin Fields was 0 for 20 and Gunnar Hook was 8 for 8. Justin Fields was going to start week two, right? There's no question about that. There's a way to get the backup quarterback that experience without it being a two-quarterback system and without without it being a competition. So if your pro is get a second guy snaps because that's important, I do think there's a way to do it without – it being a two quarterback system. And again, maybe that's semantics, but I think it's certainly an important difference in how Ryan Day would present it to the world.
1: And I, and I tried to write it that way, that I think that there's, when, we, when people say two quarterback systems, I think they think of kind of what you were saying before, like, oh, are they switching off every series? Are they rotating snaps? Like they think of it as like this equal timeshare where you've made no commitment. And I think you can still have something that qualifies as a two quarterback system in its own way, that isn't like that. I think what you just described is still a two-quarterback system in a way. But how long would that
0: go? But at some point in that system, once the backup quarterback has gotten a couple series and a couple games, you're not doing it anymore.
1: Right. And I think, again, I think the, the whole thing, in all of these cases, it's supposed to be, I'm, I'm talking about this as like a temporary endeavor, right? Well, I, let me say this. if you, If Ohio State does that,
0: if Ohio State names quarterback A as the starter, and quarterback B plays a series in the first half and a series in the second half and looks pretty good, maybe even looks better than quarterback A. If, if you wrote a, a story at Cleveland.com that said, two quarterback system leads Ohio State to victory, I would argue against that headline. I would argue against that description. I would be like, well, if they put the backup offensive line in and Dewan Jones played some left tackle in the third series – and Thayer Munford was on, you know, if Dewan Jones backed up Thayer Munford the same way quarterback B backed up quarterback A, but everybody knows Thayer Munford's a starting left tackle, would we call it a two-tackle system at left tackle? Like, if Ryan Day establishes this guy's the starter, then I don't care, honestly, how much the second guy plays. It's not a two-quarterback system. It's the backup quarterback getting some work. But I think that description matters.
1: I see what you're saying. And again, I think this is where we don't want to derail this with, with semantics. I, I guess now, the,
0: the, now, To be fair, we derail this podcast with semantics <laughs> at least once a week. So let's not try to act like we don't want to do it. We kind of want to do it.
1: But I think it is important because I know we're going to get all the text later of how I'm advocating for a two-quarterback system. I, I think it's more important. Does Ohio State – I guess the, the whole framework of what I was looking at was like, does Ohio State on September 2nd need to have a quarterback – that it treats the way it treated Justin Fields the last two years or Dwayne Haskins before that, who they, you, you have one full-time quarterback. Does that need to be the way that this unfolds for Ohio State? Or is there a, another solution that makes sense, especially early in the season, but that's okay. harder to fit in a headline.
0: <laughs> okay. But, but I'm going to say that we can't use the phrase two quarterback system to describe a backup playing on occasion when ryan day has named a starter i would say we can't use that phrase it's incorrect that's actually but but that's not
1: the only option here as we've okay all right all right other pros what are the other pros of why this might be good i mean i think those are the 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 two far and away pros the other pro would be and it doesn't really apply to ohio state i don't think i mean we haven't seen these guys play at ohio state yet other than what we saw last year from cj stroud and jack miller but there's obviously been situations where um, there's a very different style between the two quarterbacks or you get a quarterback who's much more of a running quarterback and one quarterback who's much more throwing quarterback and you have packages just for that quarterback, similar to what even what Justin Fields did at Georgia. But I don't think that's going to apply from what we know about these Ohio State quarterbacks. I don't think that necessarily applies.
0: Okay. I know what you're saying there. Right, that it's a change-up. It's a change-up to maximize the different skills of the quarterbacks involved and keep a defense on its heels. And typically, over time, that has meant the starting quarterback is less of a run threat and the quarterback coming in is more of a run threat, and that's the wrinkle. Whether you run some zone read with the backup quarterback, whether it's almost like a wildcat kind of thing where you're snapping to that quarterback and letting him barrel into the line. Very seldom is it that like you have a dual-threat quarterback who can run and the backup is like a drop-back guy. And you're like, we well, you put the drop-back guy in as a wrinkle to have him throw the ball 50 yards down the field a couple of times like that. That's not how it works. It's a no. run for teams that are unable to use the quarterback as a run fit normally. That's what it is. That's what Justin Fields was at Georgia. And it's like off, it's often unfair to the backup quarterback to the wrinkle quarterback, because you end up treating him like a runner when it's like, Justin Fields, is like, dude, I can throw it better than the starter. I can also run it better than the starter, but why am I the runner? Like, what are we doing here? And that's what they do to those guys. So, yeah. but to your point, You're mentioning it, but you don't actually think it fits
1: it it, for another program. Maybe it would be worth bringing up, but it it doesn't fit here for two reasons. Number one, it worked great for urban Meyer at Florida, right? In the mid two thousands, they did it with Tim Tebow behind Chris leak. And then not only did it work kind of stylistically for them, but it gave Tim Tebow the experience for the win next year when he took over as a full-time starter. Um, Although obviously I don't know how much, I mean, he was, he was a Heisman trophy winner the next year. So you can debate how much he really needed those, those but it probably helped. And then, um, so, but number one, not Ohio State, these three Ohio State quarterbacks, there isn't a Tim Tebow in that mix. These are all pretty much the same kind of quarterback, more or less. And this offense, the way Ryan Day wants this offense to be run, this offense, like, there's no room for a, that kind of quarterback, I don't think, in this offense, right? Like, it's hard for me to imagine Ryan Day running his Tim Tebow out there for a, few, a couple of series here and there. A lot of times, I think it happens when you're sort of square pegging
0: some round holes. Often when you're playing quarterback, you didn't recruit. Like Urban Meyer inherited Chris Leak and he recruited Tim Tebow, and he's like, "Well, Chris Leak's the starter; he's the veteran. But this guy, this battering ram of a freshman, I need a role for him." Um, also, similar to the Tate package, which I spend a lot of time advocating for. When Dwayne Haskins, actually, Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell is an example of this. Dwayne couldn't run; Tate could run. Tate could also throw, but when Tate Martell, if you, if you believed in the Tate package, which I think it was me and Landis and nobody else, certainly no one on the coaching staff that it was like, Hey, let's get Tate Martell and especially red zone, right. Run a little quarterback zone, read little dipsy do dunkaroo, little, little threat, you know, that's, that's what that was. But that was also like, well, listen, it's like, that's not really Ryan Day's thing, but like, you know, not that Dwayne didn't fit Ryan, but it's like, well, Tate's here. I don't know that Tate, I mean, Tate, Clearly, Ryan Day wouldn't have picked Tate because as soon as it was Tate's time, Ryan Day went and grabbed Judd Fields instead. So, Ryan Day didn't want to play Tate Martell on a full time basis. But that's what that was. And I, I mean, Tate, Tate package, go, go like go, search for hashtag Tate package and see what comes up on Twitter. But again, that's not this. Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell were two very different kinds of quarterbacks. We do not believe there is that kind of stark difference between CJ McCord, C., uh, Kyle McCord, CJ Stroud, and Jack Miller. How many times? I might call call somebody McStroud. Jack McStroud might just be my shorthand for this quarterback battle. Um, All right. We'll come back with the cons and what might guide Ohio State away from something like this. Next, on Buckeye Talk. Doug LeMaurice, Nathan Baird, back on Buckeye Talk. Nathan Baird with a story on Cleveland.com. Go read it about even like the, just the suggestion, the idea of a two-quarterback system and how it might relate to Ohio State. Nathan, why not? What's the reason that would be like, nope,
1: nope, got to pick a dude? I think there are a lot of reasons, actually. Um, it, it was one of those things that I think just in the back of my mind, you know, is worth exploring. And I think it actually still has some merit, but there are numerous cons here. And I think the first one is just practicality. I, I would. We haven't talked to Ryan Day exactly about how this is going to unfold from a logistics standpoint, and he may not ever really divulge publicly how how they're doing this. But I, in my mind, I kind of imagine at some point you do have to start whittling guys down here a little bit, right? You can't get into the start of the preseason in August and or late July, whenever it's going to be, and still have three guys who are all rotating through first string reps, right? At some point, you kind of have to start pulling one guy back and and at least two of the guys getting more of those reps. And then I think eventually you want one guy getting more of the reps because you do want someone building that connection with his offensive line, the, the timing and the rapport with the receivers. Like all that stuff can really only happen when you start repping it, when you start really building the reps that he has with those guys. So I think that's maybe the first obvious drawback is – with the, when you're splitting all that time with two guys, and especially two guys, none of them have a pre-existing relationship other than what C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller did last year as backups, then you're, you're depriving someone of a chance to, to enhance the standing that they already have. Maybe there's a guy who has a slight lead, and then it would grow if they were the one who were given the majority of the number one snaps, you know what I mean? And you're, you're pulling that off the table if you're still splitting that up 50-50 or whatever at that point of the season.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Run, run run through the rest of the cons here. Run through the rest of the cons.
1: The, the other cons are a little bit more. Um, what, what do you want to say? They're, they're more intangibles in a lot of ways, but but, but maybe not because you, you start talking about things like leadership. You start talking about things like the confidence that a team draws from knowing that it has a starting quarterback that it can count on and kind of goes out there and seizes the day a little bit. I thought it was important that Justin Fields, as talented as people knew who he who knew he was, and he didn't have the equivalent of a Stroud Miller or um, McCord really on his own team in a lot of ways. Like there wasn't somebody else thought of as like being equal from a talent standpoint on that that roster at the same time. So that job was gonna be his. But at the same time, the way that he went out, and I thought just really grabbed it with both hands early on from the, from the very first game. You know, from talking to players on the team, it wasn't like the most vocal guy, but there was kind of a quiet confidence about him. He was, it was very early on. You could see that he was a guy who didn't get rattled. So it's. It, I'm not trying to compare all these three guys saying they have to emulate Justin Fields' demeanor. What I am saying is that when you when you give the job to one guy and he has the he's comfortable now, he knows that the next interception isn't necessarily going to get him benched or whatever. That's the other part of this too is 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 giving a guy a chance to make some mistakes, play through some mistakes. If you're switching quarterbacks back and forth, you're you're maybe taking that off the table, um, and then you can get farther into it with if you're if you really are splitting it between two guys, does that create some sort of a two factions within the team? And when one guy's playing better, but the other guy keeps starting, are you causing problems in your locker room? You kind of alluded to that before. And I think there've been some instances where, where that sort of thing has come up. Iowa had a thing several years ago where it was caught between two quarterbacks and it got kind of messy. So there are a lot of reasons why if you do it, you have to kind of dance around some things. So that's.
0: Like, that's all of it to me. Like, the reason for it, like, yes, the snaps in practice is actually, actually matters, right? It's like, well, if you have two starters who are splitting first-team reps, they're each getting less work with the first team, which, like, by definition increases the chances of them playing worse because they get less practice. Like, that's just, like, foundational. But it's mostly intangible to me. And I thought it was mostly intangible in 2015 I think the looking over your shoulder thing is a real thing. And I remember in 2015, Urban Meyer was like, oh, no, looking over your shoulder. If there's a guy looking over his shoulder, like, that's a problem already. And it's like, Urban, what are you talking about? And I think then after the fact, JT Barrett and Cardale Jones would tell you they felt like they were looking over their shoulder in 2015. And the environment created that. You can't live in a world where every time you throw an interception, you think you're getting benched. Now, if you throw 10 interceptions, you might get benched. But it is very hard, especially for young quarterbacks, I think, to succeed in a world where they're afraid to make a mistake because they'll never learn. And also, you're not going to get the big plays then because they're like, well, that guy might be open. But if the safety comes across and makes a great play, I might be getting benched the next series or like, well, I'm out of the game. Or it reverses it. It's like, well, this is my series. Next series is the other guy man, I'm not going to take a freaking check down on third and seven and punt and live to fight another day because he's going to get to live to fight another day. So we're going to punt and set up field positions for the other guy to get a short touchdown drive? This is my turn. I'm taking a risk, right? It can go either way. And they're all bad. And they're all bad. So the other thing of this, and, 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 and like, what does it work? What does it work? Like, that's the other part of like, Go through the history books and say, show me where the two quarterback system, where the the plan was to play two guys, that they both had roles and they figured going into a game. Now, listen, and we'll get into this. Sometimes you get benched in a game because you're terrible. That's different. But if going into a game, the plan is both quarterbacks think multiple guys are playing. Show me the success stories of that at any level, anywhere. Now, Lincoln Tebow is one, but that was so specific. And we're saying this already wouldn't be that. So this is just sharing it. Nathan, has it ever worked?
1: I don't know. I can't, I'm sure there's at least one. I can't think of it. And, and again, the, the circumstances for Ohio State are so unique in the fact that it's three freshmen that, and you're talking about the, the, the that are just so uh, green in, in, in so many ways. And we saw it work. I guess you would say with Clemson a couple years ago. You know, Trevor Lawrence being behind Kelly Bryant to start the year, but they were working him in a lot. He was getting, you know, he was getting reps at meaningful parts of the game. And then five games in, they just said, "We, we can't do it anymore. It's got to be Trevor Lawrence." Like it's obvious he's the better guy, and they go to him. But again, that, it's it's hard to apply that example to this because. That wasn't two guys starting from zero. It was a true freshman and an established returning starting quarterback. And those two guys flipped spots. It, it, it's a much different dynamic that Ryan Day is dealing with now, where you've got three guys coming in on equal footing and trying to come up with something that, that balances out and, and where you can pick the quarterback that gives you the best chance to play, but also keeping all three of these guys, or at least two of them, engaged for the fall because you do have to give yourself that second option if it comes to that. So there's three ways this this
0: Ohio State battle could play out. One is that a guy clearly emerges, and everybody knows it. Ryan Day knows it. Corey Dennis knows it. Kevin Wilson knows it. Every single player on the team knows it. That's the guy. There's the scenario where multiple guys are that good, which is like a good problem to have, right? Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's two of the three where it's like, man, I'll tell you what. I think we could win the national title with either of these guys or any of these guys. And there's the scenario where it's nobody. And the answer is like, nobody seizes it. And like, they're all fine, but they all make mistakes. They all miss big plays. Like they're okay. But the reason that you're not sure is because not because multiple guys are good, but because nobody is that good. So the first one, if the first one happens, that's great. What if it's the other two, Nathan? So like, let's go to, let's say, it's probably not gonna be all three guys are awesome, but let's say two guys are basically equal, like really good and equal a what do you think Ryan Day will do in terms of the decision and b, what is the right thing to do?
1: Well, I think we've talked about this before a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the the difference between like the the safe decision and the the upside decision. I think in that case if 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 it if it's two guys who are neck and neck, you probably fall back on experience at that point. And in this case, that would either, that would probably be whoever you felt more comfortable with at the end of last season.
0: Why would you fall back on experience when nobody has experience? You think that if Kyle McCord and one of the red shirt freshmen are equal, McCord automatically loses because the tiebreakers experience.
1: Yeah. I I don't know. They haven't thrown a pass. How else do you, how else do you decide it at that point? as you're saying you have to in your head you have to decide somebody's 51 49 yeah and you just have to go you just have to pick it and go so but but in in a coach's mind i think that is a lot of times what they will then maybe fall back on is like well this guy has been in the system for that extra year so you think mccord then is slightly behind because that's a tiebreaker only a tiebreaker but nonetheless a tiebreaker um, my, my, it's my suspicion. If it were to come back to if it come down to a dead heat, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But do you
0: think Ryan day would or should pick somebody that he would pick two guys, both deserve it. They both deserve it. And Ryan day's not so sure. He doesn't have the two best quarterbacks in the big 10. I don't care how young they are. They're awesome. And we know this is a league that is not typically filled With great quarterbacks. So I know Graham Mertz is great, but man, he had some struggles last year. I don't think either of these two guys would struggle like that. You know what? Sean Clifford's been around for a while. I get it. Tanner Morgan's been around, but I'm telling you, man, both these guys are ready to flash more upside right now. I'm Ryan Day. I am a great recruiter and developer of quarterbacks, and I believe the two best quarterbacks in the Big Ten are on this roster, and neither of them has ever taken a college snap. Am I playing one or am I playing both?
1: If by both, you mean that scenario we talked before, or maybe you get one series. Tell me, don't don't
0: just tell me what you do. Tell me. You're I think what, you find a way to get that second it.
1: guy into the game. I think you find a way to get that second guy into the game in a non blowout situation.
0: In a non blowout situation. But is it clear that, that the guy is the but starter? I think you also
1: name a starter. Yes.
0: You name a starter and you make it clear. This guy's a starter, but this guy's going to play. Yes because this guy's going to be ready. We have full faith in both. This guy's the starter. This guy's going to play. And he knows if we need him, he has to be ready. Yes. But the starter should not be looking over his shoulder because we have the utmost confidence in him. And we will expect him and want him to take the field, knowing that every single person associated with this program, including the other two quarterbacks in the competition with him, are 100% behind him. Buckeye faithful, get behind this guy. He's our starting car, starting quarterback.
1: I think you have to do that at some point. You do have to make that call. And because I think evaluating someone based on a game is different than evaluating someone based on a series or a half or whatever. I think the, the other thing that opens the door for though, is if the, if the person that you've committed to first is struggling, you reevaluate it after one game and you may have a different answer for week two or week four or week whatever. But I think at some point, you you do have to kind of commit no, I, to the one I guy. I know. I know. But, some, but by
0: some point, the whole point of this discussion is when's the point? The points before the season? Yeah,
1: I, Not they have to name a star, they have, I mean, you, you're naming a starter for week one. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You think they must name a starter for week one. That's where we're landing on this. That it cannot be a true two quarterback system for week one. Correct.
1: Okay. What if.
0: And I don't think
1: think they want that. I don't think – I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I think they're going to do everything they can to avoid that. But, but I mean, it's not up to them. I mean, it's up to them a little bit in how they split snaps. But if everybody balls out, it's not up to
0: them. Because you can't hide it. You can't hide it from the team. If it's like, well, this guy's taking first-team snaps, but this guy is taking second-team snaps. But every time he takes second-team snaps, he makes great reads and rips throws. It's like everybody sees it, right? But so it's a tough call, but you've got to make the tough call. All right. Nobody seizes it, and you're like, "My God, I'm frankly, I would never say it. I'm a little disappointed. I really like these guys. I think they're good players. I think the competition got to all of them. Maybe now, as we're here, like 10 days before this season starts, maybe I somehow screwed this up. Maybe I didn't set up the competition in the right way because they're all in their own heads. We tried to split snaps fairly, but clearly none of them have developed along the way to the level of being like a sure thing Big Ten starter. And I'm not sure we have a top five quarterback in the Big Ten. The way these guys are playing right now, what do you do? Do you name a starter? Do you do the same thing? Or is that a different scenario? And you say, I'll tell you what, and do you put it on them? Do you say something like, listen, these are three talented young men. We believe in them. None of them have seized the job. The job is there to be seized. We're going to continue. We're going to focus on winning first. Somebody has to take the first snap. We, we, are, we believe in all of our quarterbacks, but we don't have one starting quarterback right now. So I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but all three of them, or even if you decide it's between these two guys, they both need to be ready. I'm going to play them however they need to be played to win the game. And if and when somebody seizes it, we will reevaluate. But nobody has seized it to this point, so this is what we're going to do. Or would you just take the best of the bunch, cross your fingers, and name somebody and believe that by committing to him, you will raise the level of that guy who so far within the competition has not played all that well?
1: Well, I definitely don't think they're going to get – to the start of the season and kind of put their palms up and say, because I mean, even if that's the truth, I don't think they're going to admit that they got to this point and hadn't developed someone who could be the starting quarterback.
0: You don't think that there's a window there's that's not a good coaching move. If nobody seizes it to say, nobody seized it. We believe in all of them. The job continues to be open. Go prove you're our starting quarterback. But they're going to say they
1: believe in all of them regardless. I know know what I mean, but But
0: you could could say nobody won the job. We're going to play them and keep working it out. You couldn't say that.
1: I, I think that's where you get into a tricky spot where, again, so much of the confidence that a team has, I think, emulates from the quarterback. And if, if your team doesn't know which among three guys is going to quarterback them on a given Saturday, I or think Or say that's it's tough. two. Or say it's two. So, so it's two. But, there's, but nobody won it. So you're saying – you But two, I think you can sell easier, and I think okay, that goes back two. to what we were saying You before.
0: always seize on the most vague thing and I say, that's well, a huge it's difference. That, okay, so it's two then. I'm telling you, nobody wins it. What, what do they do? I do think they act like somebody won it, even though nobody did?
1: I think that's where you can you can legitimately say the competition's still going on, and we're gonna we're gonna evaluate these guys through play, and maybe that is where it is more of a timeshare. Maybe that's where more like so and so is gonna start, and he's gonna play the first quarter, and then this guy's gonna play the second quarter. I think you can say that, but you can't say that indefinitely. I'm we're just saying, but to start the year, would you maybe do that against Minnesota? Maybe, but that's the tricky part of this schedule, right? That in a lot of years, maybe you would open against Miami of Ohio or Akron or whoever in that first game and you don't get that this year. You you're at Minnesota and you're home against Oregon and that makes it tougher to have things kind of in in a in, in purgatory as you start your season.
0: It is hard. I do think you have to avoid looking over the shoulder if you can. If you feel like nobody wins it and and you can't then then you hope that looking over the shoulder somehow inspires these guys because nobody managed to win it when nobody was looking maybe somebody will win it when a hundred thousand people are looking i don't know but nobody's won it so
1: far now i do think there. go ahead oh sorry but i was gonna say i i guess the looking over your shoulder thing i mean it's a wide open competition right now right i mean so there's already there are already some stakes every day these guys go out there and do drills and do practices if you have one bad day it doesn't kill you if you have a bad week you probably set yourself back at this stage right that's called a competition there's right, no absolutely.
0: there's no such thing as
1: looking over your shoulder in practice i'm talking about in games right but that's what i'm saying but then i think when you get into games i think that dynamic can still if you got two guys that are head to head and you tell them going in like hey we are still evaluating you we're taking that evaluation to the next stage which is we we believe that both of you can win but we need to see if someone separates in this in, in as we play these games i think you can sell that within the team
0: but you're not sell, i mean in the minds of the quarterbacks, they are looking over their shoulders. If you don't name a starter, every snap a quarterback takes, he's looking over his shoulder because he thinks that play could make a break whether he he's plays again or not. So, but you would have to decide, well, that's worth it. Like I, I realize that, but there's no, I just can't, I can't live in a world where coaches act like that's not true or don't acknowledge that Right. and say, well, you know, there's competition at every spot every day. There's no, it's like, it's not the same. It's not the same. I don't, I don't, so, so here's, but here's the other thing. Here's the other thing you have to be on alert for. And I do think 2015 is instructive in this debate because like in 2018, they had the Dwayne Haskins, Joe, Joe Burrow competition in the spring. They decided and somebody left in 2015. They had it in the spring. They had it in the fall. They didn't, they did decide in the end, but they acted like they decided again, for some reason, Urban played it out in a way that like, it was like, Who's taking the field for the first snap against Virginia Tech? You weren't supposed to know. The team knew. The quarterbacks knew. The fans didn't know. Whatever. So Cardale Jones plays plays pretty well. I thought against Virginia Tech on that Monday night Monday night opener. They avenge the loss from the year before. They're the defending national champs. They play on Labor Day night, prime time. They're the big game. Cardale plays pretty well. Braxton drops the spin move. Everybody gets excited. They come back on a short week against Hawaii. They play on a Monday night. That's weird. They come back and play the next Saturday. They play on a Monday night on the road and come back and play on Saturday. Like, it's crazy. Nobody's going to be that good in that scenario, right? I mean, like, it's just – that's a hard world to live in. Carnell comes out, four series. They get stopped. They They – Actually, I guess try a fake punt. I don't remember, but the box score says incomplete Cam Johnston pass on fourth down. First drives that, second drives a touchdown, punt, punt. So the first four drives, they have one touchdown against Hawaii. And they take out Cardale. And they put in JT Barrett, and JT Barrett leads a touchdown drive on the next drive. And they end up splitting kind of that game. Second game. They end up winning 38-0 against Hawaii. They play Northern Illinois the next week. They don't look that great. They go back and forth. JT becomes the red zone quarterback, sort of what we talked about. One's a thrower, one's a runner. JT becomes a red zone quarterback. They eventually go to JT. So they did not start off the season with the intention of a two-quarterback system. JT like practically did nothing in the opener. And then they pulled the starter for lack of performance after four series in week two on a short week. So it wasn't that they were committed to a two quarterback system, but they picked a guy and then they had a really short leash. And then once they had determined, well, we're yanking on that short leash, then it got up in the air. Then it was like sort of uncertain all the way until they made the full-time change. And then it was just JT and then Cardale didn't really have a role. That is a little different. I have often criticized that decision. I, didn't th- I did not think it was handled well. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't that they arrived on a two-quarterback system. They arrived on a starter that they were hesitant about. They arrived at a starter that they didn't really know how to maximize how he played with the two new offensive coordinators. They didn't really change the system or the offense or what they wanted to do to fit Cardale Jones' strengths. And they sort of just said, well, we're still the Ohio State offense. Good luck with that. It beat Bama. I guess it'll keep working. Except the guy who called the plays that beat Bama is gone. I think that was handled poorly, but Nathan, you have to leave open the idea of we name a starting quarterback. And if he doesn't play well, we replace him. Like you have to be able to do that. That exists all the time. I mean, if Justin Fields would have gone out and thrown 11 interceptions in the first three games last year, And especially if they went 0-3, like that would have been open for him. That reality exists for every quarterback, for every player at every position. If Thayer Munford comes out and gives up seven sacks in the opener against Minnesota, there might be a new left tackle next week. And I'm just using that example. Thayer Munford's a tremendous football player. That would never happen. So that I get Nathan. So like of course you have to be open to that. But it's the idea of if they pick a starter right if they do pick one either because he seizes it or because nobody seizes it but you give it to him anyway now we're in a leash discussion and so what is your evaluation on especially with all young quarterbacks none of whom have played before and it might not even be about the quarterback it might be like ryan day you picked the wrong guy right they're all trying their best but practice tricked you And especially if you're in a window, because I do think the the scenario you're presenting where the second guy plays, if I had to bet what's going to happen, I would bet it's they name a starter and they say the second guy's going to play and he does play. Just for all the reasons we outlined, Especially if the second guy looks good and the first guy looks bad. What's the leash like in your mind?
1: You know, I think it would have to be kind of a disaster in week one before you make a switch that quick. I would I would expect that you you go into week one with maybe what you're kind of presenting, and if that works, if you win week one, I think even maybe regardless of how the statistically how things look, I think you give that guy a chance to build on that in the week two. Because again, these guys are going to be playing their first games, going to be throwing their first passes. I think you have to give an opportunity for for somebody to get comfortable to some extent. The other thing to remember here is, and I gave some examples in what I wrote about other places, and we've talked about them here, college programs that have done this in recent years. You know where they don't do this ever? The NFL. Like there's no – you don't ever do this like two-quarterback dance Really, in really any way in the NFL. Once in a while, I mean, you got wildcat packages, whatever, but what we're talking about doesn't happen in the NFL. We've talked many times about the influence that the NFL has had on Ryan Day, not just in kind of the way that he designs an offense, but it's also in just sort of his essence, I think, like the person that he is, the coach he is, and the coach he may be down the line, um, very, very literally the coach he may be down the line. So that's the other reason why I think he probably looks at this maybe through that lens a little bit as having to pick a quarterback the way an NFL team picks a quarterback, not the way that some college teams sometimes pick a quarterback.
0: And as you said, the only time it it happens in the NFL is when they have a veteran and they have the high draft pick that they're easing in, and they're trying to figure out when it's going to go. Right. That like it happened with Tyrod Taylor twice. It was Tyrod Taylor with the Browns. He gets hurt. They put in Baker Mayfield. Baker was going to come in at some point in his rookie year. Happened with Tyrod Taylor with the Chargers last year. Tyrod Taylor starts week one. They puncture his lung with a shot by week two. Justin Herbert's the starting quarterback. Justin Herbert was going to come in at some point. And that's the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence example. Trevor Lawrence was going to take over at some point, probably. Right. I mean, it just depended when and how it all worked out. But that's not this. So, like, to your point, that is not at all like this. And in the NFL, they never have, like, equal talent, equal experience,
1: play them both, right? But, but was, was, was like, Mayfield – and I don't remember this about Herbert – they weren't, like, playing series in the first half, were they? No, no, no. It was just, right. like, no, no, no,
0: no. This, they, they picked the, – they said the veteran's the starter. Right. And everybody was like, okay, good, the veteran's the starter. We know the rookie's going to come in at some point. You're just going to have to figure out when – and both times it was because of injury because bad coaches are afraid to make mistakes. And I held that up as if you're the coach, I mean, literally, I'm not sure there's a more, a more important decision that a head coach in the, at any level makes than picking a starting quarterback. And if you're the kind of coach where you leave that decision to fate, well, we're going to play the veteran and it's like, when are you going to play the rookie? It's like, ah, we'll see. Something will happen. I don't like you. And Hugh Jackson did it, and he eventually got fired. Anthony Lynn did it. He eventually got fired. Make a decision. Why are we paying you? We're not paying fate. We're paying you. Make a decision. So I think Ryan Day will make a decision. But again, that's they weren't playing a two-quarterback system. It's just the number two guy was lurking in a way mm-hmm. that you knew he was actually the number one quarterback it's just when they were going to make the change. The the, guy, the first guy was a placeholder. Nobody here's a placeholder. Nobody here's a placeholder. And, right. Well, it depends well, on what you think of Quinn Ewers. Unless they're all placeholders for <laughs> right. Quinn Ewers. Which is, I mean, if we think this is interesting, three equal talented young guys, wait until we have 2022 and we have like the guy who won the job this year and the number one recruit in the country. Like, what I mean, that? I mean, we could be doing this again times 10 next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they pick a starter. He has a good year. They use the number two guy a lot. He also looks really strong. And then you add Quinn Ewers in next spring and restart a competition. Like, I think that's, I mean, that, that's going to be insane. Good problems to
0: have. I think it'll be fine. I, I like talking about this kind of stuff theoretically. I don't think any Ohio State fan should come away for this conversation freaked out. Like, oh, my God, we're not going to be able to pick a quarterback. Like, it'll be fine. Like, and you know what? I didn't trust. Well, I take this. Uh, how do I explain this? I had a lot of questions about Tim Beck as the quarterbacks coach in year one back then. And it was like, well, it wasn't Tim Beck's decision. Cause Tim Beck came in in the middle of it. And I guess to some degree, I get it. You know, it's like JT and Cardale had done what they had done in 2014 while Tim Beck was at Nebraska. And now you ask Tim Beck to come in and like, Referee this quarterback battle, it was never going to be Tim Beck's decision, it was Urban's decision, right? And I know for a fact that the decision Urban made to go to with Cardale surprised some people. Um, Corey Dennis, ah, would do I 100% cor- trust Corey Dennis to like referee this? No, but it's not, it's Ryan Day, so it's like Ryan Day is going to make this call, even if like Corey Dennis maybe is the referee, Ryan Day is the judge, so like Corey Dennis is making sure nobody hits each other in the groin during the process of the competition, but then at the end of the competition, you go over to the judges who've been watching the whole thing and they hand in their scorecard and there's only one judge and there's only one scorecard that matters. So I think I would be surprised, Nathan, even though they're young and this sounds like a Homer thing, I would be surprised if it actually unfolds as, no, nobody was that good. I think it's more likely that they all are flashing things to varying degrees. And it's quite possible that two guys are like neck and neck and Ryan Day is going to have to make a really tough call. That would be my guess. I actually think that might be a little more what I would bet on than one guy absolutely running away with it. I think Nathan, and then we'll get, we'll take a break and get to our little short discussion at the end. If I had to guess what's going to happen, I would guess that Ryan Day will have to make a somewhat difficult decision among two very good options that have played well, and that he will go with a starter and a number two that needs to be ready and will have, will get some action one way or another. And that would be my guess of how this would unfold in the fall. What's your
1: guess? I think you're right. I, I think that is that that is the most likely scenario because um, of just of, of the pedigree these guys come in with and, and what we know about them as athletes and having seen them, you know, play before they get to Ohio State. I, and I think the Ryan Day dynamic dynamic here is the interesting one because there's also we can't forget that it's all it's different in some ways even than when urban meyer had to make this decision right because urban meyer wasn't a quarterbacks coach he wasn't considered this kind of quarterbacks guru like there is some pressure on ryan day not just as the head coach but as the developer of quarterbacks to get this program to the start of this next season and have a have a strong quarterback whether that is split between like 85 15 or however but like have a strong quarterback have strong quarterback play for Ohio State football this fall and like and does it change the dynamic too if at some point in this process if two weeks before opening day he points to one guy and says you're my guy does that boost that guy's confidence does the rest of the team respond to that in a different way does that kind of you know what I mean like does that influence the outcome at the end of the day by, by just kind of instilling a different level of, of assurance, not just in the player, but in the, the rest of the team, that Ryan Day is putting his name and his um, faith in that guy. I love giving fake speeches. Because
0: nobody wants to hear my real speeches. I think if Ryan Day, at the end of preseason camp, would stand did I, did I do this? I always like to give like fake speeches and then like if Eddie Coach at any level listen to this, they would be like, my God. It's like you think life is a movie. Would you shut up? Not everything is Hoosiers. Okay, Not but everything
1: is miracle on ice. But we've seen enough Ryan Day clips on social media to whatever speech you're about to give, it's probably very plausible. So Ryan Day stands up at the end of preseason practice and he says,
0: We've all watched these three quarterbacks battle each other. For months. And there's no greater gift that you can give to this team than by putting all of yourself into a competition because you want to be the best and you want to make this team the best. And these three quarterbacks came to this school knowing only one of them could be a starter. And they still chose to be here because they believe in you and we believe in them. And the gift that they have given this team can never be repaid. If I could play them all at the same time, I would, but I can't. I have to do what's right for this team, and I have to do what's right for these three players. I could not respect more what these three men did for us. I will never forget it. I can never repay them. They have done everything that we have asked of them. And this is where we are right now. We can win a national championship with any three of these guys. I guarantee you that. Every snap that we take at quarterback this year, no matter who's behind center, we will have 100% faith that they will get the job done because of who they are and because of what you guys are going to do to support them. But somebody's got to be the starter. Quarterback A, step forward. This is as good of a quarterback battle as any team has ever had. And when we hand you the football, To take the first snap of the 2021 season, we hand it to you knowing that no quarterback has ever earned it more. Quarterback B, quarterback C, be ready. We are going to need you. To be the team we want to be, we will need you in practice, on the sideline, very likely in games. Stay ready. Because when we need you, we will believe in you. But quarterback A, you take the field against Minnesota to start this season, and you take the field knowing that you have the full faith and love and support of every single person in this program, including those two guys in that room who battled you tooth and nail. What you have done for us has made us great. And what you will do for us will make us great. Justin Fields was the best quarterback to ever play at this program. And when we take the field in 2021, I will have the exact same faith in these quarterbacks that I had in Justin Fields. Congratulations, quarterback A. You're the starting quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes in week one. And I think that is galvanizing, right? I mean, like that, I gave myself chills. Because to be honest, come on, 10 seconds there, I gave myself chills. I think that's out there for him. But I think if you get up and make that speech and say, quarterback A, quarterback B, you're exactly equal. I don't know what to do. So let's keep it going. Who knows what will happen? I don't think that's as good. It's not as good in the movie but I also don't think it's as good for the team because I think you could make that first speech in a way that makes all three quarterbacks. Now listen, somebody's going to leave. <gasps> yeah. Somebody will have that speech in their head as they enter the transfer portal. But I think you can give that speech in a way that all of this is good for everybody.
1: I think, you know, the Oscar nominations came out this morning. I think if you had maybe given this, we had done this podcast a week earlier, maybe you would have been among them. Um that was, that was pretty rousing. And I, again, like Ohio state is like the one, like the one program in recent history where you can say, Hey, we literally might need all three of you guys. Like we can, it might be bull crap. Like, cause it's just such a, it's like a once in a lifetime kind of scenario that led to that. But Ryan Day can go up there and say, Hey, that, that banner over there, you know, who won that? The third string quarterback. Like he can literally go over there and say that in a way that no other quarterback in the, or no other coach in the country could do that. So, i i I really am curious um i'm I'm really more than who wins the job because someone's going to win the job someone's going to be the starter on week one so that that is going to happen i think what's much more interesting right now is how does ryan day evaluate these guys what is the process and how do you sort of manage um psyches and egos and confidence and and keep and push the right buttons and all that because that brings out the best in all those guys if you do it the right way. And that ultimately makes the team as the best it can be at the end of the day.
0: And I also think, by the way, if I had to envision how it turns out is they name a starter, they name a number two who they tell be ready and played great, and number three leaves. I'm not sure number three is even here this fall. I think number three might transfer in a way to, like, start his clock and just get himself in position that, listen, if I go somewhere and I'm, like, the backup quarterback – in practice there like right now you know what i mean like i just i don't know all the particulars of how that stuff all works i'm not sure they even last through the fall because i don't know i'm not sure what would be in it for them because like you might get down to the third quarterback but also quinn dewers is coming so now it's like maybe they stick around and maybe they work and practice and develop and like good for them if they do that third guy's gonna be a little bit of a tough spot um and i think it'd be i'd be very surprised if all three of these guys are here when the first snap comes in 2022, because by then Quinn Ewers will also be here. So you're going to have all three of the current guys plus Quinn Ewers as a four person quarterback room in 2022. That would surprise me. But when that other guy chooses to leave, listen, you can stay and develop and and learn the offense and get in a good spot and transfer after the season and be ready for spring football somewhere else and
1: go compete. I, that's, that's possible too. Um, I think that I'll actually be okay. makes the most sense to me, doesn't it? I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I, I mean, I suppose you could leave at the end of, I mean, school is practically started by then. It just seems like yeah. an awkward time to go to another program. I think it's much more likely that all three of these guys are here throughout the fall. And the thing that we have to keep in mind is Cardale
0: and JT said it a million times, a million times, a million times. They're great friends. They battled and they were great friends. Like it didn't, like they were okay. I think neither of them played at their best in 2015 because they were looking over their shoulder. But it didn't like tear the team apart. I mean, it didn't tear the quarterback room apart. So I think that's part of it too. Like the idea of, hey, why are all these guys coming here? Don't get Quinn Ewers. You have too many good players. It's like I think guys, just, there is the idea of guys understand that at great programs, there's competition. And they embrace that competition and you're not going to like hope for bad things on the other guy in your room. And you spend so much time together. I hope you're at least friendly, even if you're not best friends who hang out and play video games all the time, like JT and Cardale often did when Cardale and Tyvus were hanging out of the apartment and JT would come over. So I think that'll be okay. I just think it's possible that highly paid quarterback expert Ryan day has to make a tough decision, but he also might get a chance to make a great speech. All right, we're going to come back very quickly with something that I thought was interesting, but maybe isn't that interesting. Next on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk, and I stand corrected. It is interesting (laughs) because in the break, Nathan started gesticulating. Archie Miller just got fired as Indiana's head basketball coach, which I think is the right move.
1: It, it wasn't in the break, by the way. It was like halfway through your speech. You're rousing win one for the Gipper. I, I would say if you would have interrupted my
0: speech to say that Archie Miller gotten fired, I would have been I would have stormed off the set. <laughs> I can't work this way. I need a new director. Um so Archie Miller got fired. That's the right move. They had to fire him. Yep. Uh your friend and mine, Zach Osterman, the great IU beat writer for the Indy Star, wrote a really good piece uh, a couple days ago sort of about the program in general. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I do think there are similarities between Ohio state football and Indiana basketball. It was 34 years. And by the way, if we want to have a debate about whether the 1970 title really should count for Ohio state, they lost their last game. Show me a team in any sport that won a title by losing its last game. If you want to get into like, well, there's different polls. And back in the old days, they had a bunch of different polls and this and that, But you at least won your bowl game. I'll at least entertain the argument. If you won the title because, like, they handed out the the title, the organization, like, handed it out before the bowl game was played, and then you lost your bowl game, I get that Ohio State claims it. It's farcical. So, like, I had that debate with some texters who were like, if everybody says it's a thing, who are you to say? It's like, who am I to say? I'm a person that lives in the real world. It doesn't count. I don't count it. It's ridiculous. Now, Alabama counts like 12 ridiculous titles. So if Ohio State counts two borderline titles, well, one borderline maybe and one bad one, it's, it's far less egregious than a lot of other places. I don't cover Alabama. I'm not counting 1970. 34 years between 1968 and 2002. Last woody title to the next Ohio State title, Jim Trestle in 2002. Indiana right now is 34 years removed from its last title as a basketball program. Woody Hayes forced out at age 65. Bob Knight forced out at age 60. Woody Hayes was done. Bob Knight went on and coached at Texas Tech. Woody has a statue in front of a building that's named for him. Bob Knight. I don't know, Nathan, that Bob Knight exists in any way,
1: shape and form on Indiana's campus. Does he? Last year, was the first time and it was a big deal that he had been back to Bloomington basically since he was fired
0: so uh, I I did not delve into this as much as I maybe thought I was going to because it wasn't as interesting as I thought imagine like if Woody Hayes punched the Clemson player got fired and Woody Hayes was like I'm dead you're dead to me university and football program that I love you're dead to me I am never coming back here Woody was like hanging around at the ROTC center. Like Woody, like imagine that like that's to me, like, right. If you're an Ohio state fan, there's no statue of Woody. There's no Woody Hayes athletic center. Urban Meyer, when he comes in Jim Tressel, they're not necessarily telling Woody stories, but if they do, they're awkward. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. The legendary coach who hate, who hated Ohio state until the day he died. How weird would that be? I think there's a lingering effect on programs. Um, I think I think that matters. And so I think, but yet Ohio State was in the wilderness for a while after Woody. So as much as like criticism, is like Indiana basketball isn't what it used to be. It's been 34 years since their title. Ohio State was at that same point, right? Ohio State was in that wilderness that they were not what they once were. So I, I'm intrigued by that comparison nathan and i do think as much as ohio state fans right now would believe we're ohio state we at cleveland.com wrote a series several years ago about how they're indestructible they didn't fall off the deep end and coop had a lot of great players and had great records but always lost the game that you couldn't lose and they were sort of like in the national title mix in a way that indiana hasn't been but they still weren't what they used to be right i mean they weren't if you said Under Earl Bruce and under John Cooper, was Ohio State as good as it used to be under Woody? Like, the answer to that is no, right? Earl, because he was 9-3 and Earl, Coop, because he couldn't beat Michigan. But you weren't as good, and none of them won national titles. So, like, that's indisputable. That's where the comparison is. Is Indiana basketball, since Knight left, have they been as good? Mike Davis did get to a national title game, which Earl Bruce never did. Mike Davis, who took over for Bob Knight. But Mike Davis to Kelvin Sampson to Tom Crean to Archie Miller. Have they been as good? No. So there, I think, is a comparison. So, Nathan, the idea that what if Woody Hayes had done to Ohio State what Bob Knight did to Indiana? And I think it's fair to say that Bob Knight did that to Indiana. I get it. He was mad. But I, I think it's inexcusable the way he's behaved. I think it's inexcusable the way Bob Knight has behaved much of his career. He won. But And and I know before I ask the question, our friend Todd Jones, longtime Columbus Dispatch writer, tremendous, tremendous writer, now works for Ohio State and the Alumni Magazine, has started a podcast um, where he interviews sports writers and he has them tell old stories. I think he's had two episodes so far. I would highly recommend it to anybody who wants to check that out. Um, Let me get you the name for it. But on the first episode, he had Bob Hunter, the longtime uh, Dispatch columnist on. And Bob Hunter was telling a story of when... Bob Knight was back visiting Ohio state. And he said like, ah, like they, Bob Hunter and another guy. And, and Bob Knight went to lunch and Bob Knight was like, "Ah, let's go see the old man. It's called press box access. The Todd Jones podcast. Let's go see the old man. So Bob Hunter, this other sports writer and Bob Knight go and visit Woody. You know, after Woody's, I don't know if Bob, Woody's still coaching or not, but like they're sitting in the room and Woody's telling old military stories. Like, Bob Knight and Woody had a relationship. Like, Bob Knight knows that he shares a lot of similarities with Woody. But Woody, in the end, I think, just handled it in a different way that he was able to maintain the relationship with Ohio State. And Ohio State can look back on Woody with pride and view the end as a one-time thing and still tell Woody stories and still embrace the full Woody Hayes experience in a way that Indiana can't do. And I would imagine, Nathan, to some degree, that's been harmful to Indiana, but imagine it for Ohio State. Like, what would it be like if, like, every time anybody at Ohio State talked about Woody, it was like, oh, yeah, Woody Hayes. He was a great coach here, but, man, he hated Ohio State after he got fired.
1: Well, but, I mean, it's not just Woody Hayes, too. I mean, you could even take it to, to Jim Trussell. I mean, I feel like at Ohio State, even when guys leave on, quote-unquote, bad terms, it doesn't, it doesn't linger the same way for whatever reason. And, and But I think that actually reflects more on Bob Knight. I think that reflects more on just how poisoned he was and the way that he chose to kind of treat that situation. I mean, as someone who grew up in the footprint of the big 10 and and, and stayed up um, on nights watching basketball games, uh, Illinois basketball games with my dad, um, I I always grew up with a very, um, you you had, you had a reverence for, for Bob Knight, but also just that realization that he was at, at his essence, kind of a bully. And I, 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 but, but he was still like, so synonymous with that program. Like you thought of, you know, you think of IU basketball as like this national blue chip program. And then Bob Knight was the face of that program. And to, to have that disso- disassociation for a long time, in addition to all the other things that have gone wrong with Indiana basketball for the past 20 years, I think has really lingered in, in that city and, and on that school. And it, it would be, it is hard to really fathom, like having a, having Two, three decades of excellence in your football program that just sort of vanish, even though the person yeah. is still alive or was at the time. Because we're talking about two different time frames here, a little bit. But you know, it, to to have that person just completely shun the, the the program that he was so synonymous with and was so much the, the face of for so long is is hard to fathom. And and I, it, it's interesting to kind of, of of look at what has happened at Indiana basketball in the past twenty years through that lens and 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 see some, some ways that that has maybe all kind of played into that. Um, It's funny because like Bob Knight, Bob Knight has a much
0: better relationship with Ohio State than he does with Indiana. Yeah. You know, one of the very last things, and I've thought about this and we did, we did our little pandemic review at the end of the, the podcast of the weekend podcast, but the last The last thing I did before the pandemic was I went to one of my daughter's middle school concerts, and I was at the concert, and I was like, man, man, I don't know about this. And we had the podcast. That was one of the last things we did. But the last thing I covered was the game, the Ohio State basketball game last year where they honored the 1960 Ohio State basketball championship team, and Bob Knight was there. And I have thought a lot since then about how we had a lot of old basketball players at that game, and it was right. Before stuff popped with coronavirus, and I'm just so thankful that like that was not a super spreader event where there were a lot of really vulnerable older guys at that game. And Knight, night, you know, Knight's getting up there. He didn't look like himself at that game. He was, you can tell, he's slowing down, right? But he came, like he came to Ohio State. He won't go to Indiana and do that stuff, but he came to Ohio State. So, so the issue I I have through this comparison have come to another level of appreciation for Jim Tressel because, yes, on one hand, and there were texters who pushed back on this comparison and said, listen, John Cooper was collecting talent in a way that Tom Crane and Kelvin Sampson weren't in this era at Ohio State because I said the comparison is you lose a legend, you replace him with an assistant. Mike Davis was an actual night assistant, I think was there for six years. Earl Bruce is a former Woody assistant, comes back for nine years, but you kind of keep it in house. Then when that does not maintain the level of the legend, now you go outside. Kelvin and Sampson. Kelvin Sampson, who cheated at Oklahoma, got canned at Indiana like a year and a half. I lump Kelvin Sampson and Tom Crean together because they're the same kind of thing. They're an outside hire based on their success somewhere else. Kelvin Sampson at Oklahoma, Tom Crean at Marquette, John Cooper at Arizona State. It's the outside guy. Now, Coop was more successful than either Kelvin Sampson or Tom Crean were. But Tom Crean – did have a, a stretch where they got to at least – they were a one seed the one year, got to the Sweet 16. They had Victor Oladipo and Cody Zeller be the number two and number four picks in an NBA draft. They had uh, – Christian was it Christian Watford? Maybe it wasn't him. There was somebody else that went in the top ten for them in that period. It wasn't the same as Orlando Pace, Antoine Winfield, Sean Springs, Eddie George. I get it. I don't want to dis- be dismissive of Coop's ability to bring in talent and Coop's ability to win – at a very high level in terms of winning percentage. But it's similar. He didn't win a national title. He didn't get it all the way done. And then after that, now you transition again. And they gave, I think, Creed and Sampson might have been like 11 years. Coop got 13. Then you transition again. Now, Archie Miller should have been there Trestle. What this has done for me is the realization, now Trestle did win his national title with a lot of Cooper recruits. But what Trestle stepped into was Okay, the guy who succeeded, Woody, was pretty okay, but wasn't good enough. Then the next guy was pretty good, but wasn't enough. And then if Trestle had not succeeded, and not even – or if you had had hired Mike Bellotti or Glenn Mason or somebody else who was in the mix, who would have been more like Earl, who would have been fine but would not have led Ohio State to – three national title games in six years, right? Like had not been that. I think it's possible that Ohio state football would have been in a spot, Nathan, that Indiana basketball is in right now, which is like, I mean, Archie Miller doesn't have a losing record, but it's like, man, it's not good enough. And you would be, you would wind up, you would wind up talking a lot more about Woody Hayes, because nobody since Woody Hayes would have measured up. Nobody since Bob Knight has measured up. And it, it crystallizes a bit for, for me how absolutely game-changing Jim Trestle was for Ohio State football because what he inherited was a program that for decades had not lived up to the peak of its legend. And he fixed that he created a new peak. He created a world where people were complaining about Ohio state losing national championship games, but they were beating Michigan and they were winning the big 10 and they were competing at the top and they weren't losing that one killer game in the regular season. Every time they weren't getting drummed by the rivals, they weren't losing three games a year. He created a new peak that laid the foundation for urban Meyer. And I think a lot of times we talk about how urban Meyer took Ohio state to a new level, And I, I would say in myself, have been lax in realizing how Jim Trestle got Ohio State back to its level in a way that had not been there for decades. And Archie Miller is the proof of what this Ohio State football program might have been if Jim Trestle had been average. And right now, Nathan, it feels like Indiana basketball is on fire. And it's been that way. They're 34 years removed from a title, and they are absolutely lost. And if Ohio State had hired Jim Tressel and he had been okay and gotten fired after four years like Archie Miller just did,
1: holy moly, Nathan, what a world that would have been. Well, I mean, he probably would have had to have been worse than just okay to get fired after four. I mean, they've been worse than okay at, at Indiana for now for a, a couple of years, and especially this year bottoming out at 12 and 15, obviously. But it's funny that you were thinking of Jim Tressel when you look back through this because actually the person whose name – and I, I thought it tied into the Buckeye Fly effect thing that we just talked about last week of how important timing is in a lot of these things because the name that came to me as I was reading like – kind of examining these two things – also was Ryan Day, because you brought up last week that because of the way that all that lined up, that maybe Ryan Day was the only person the Ohio State could have really hired. That was maybe the only choice when you look back on it. That was really the only direction they could go. But people might not remember, the, the, the Bobby Knight firing was in September of 2000. So like right on the cusp of starting a season. So at that point, you have no choice but to pick an assistant, right? So... Iu goes 21 and 13 that first year under Mike Davis. The players like him, so they keep him around. The next year, 19 wins. They're okay. They're a five seed. They shocked Duke, who was the one seed, to go to a Final Four. But and so then they give Mike Davis like a six-year extension. Well, it didn't work out. Like there was a guy that was really over his head. If Bob Knight, if all that Bob Knight stuff had happened in April, you probably would have done a national search. You probably would have installed a a a big-name coach or something like that. So then they bring in Kelvin Sampson, and they, they do it to themselves, he, like you say, he gets fired before the end of the second year for doing the same thing he had sanctions at at in, at at at, uh, at oklahoma and and it just kind of has led them into this spiral and I think that that's the, the timing of everything is so important, and I think that's where it reinforced to me that they have that the Gene Smith may have effectively threaded that needle it's still pretty early on with Ryan Day, but at these two years, I think has given us enough reason to believe that they as, as you said, kind of the hallmark of Ohio state football, almost more than the national championships is the, the floor being so high. And Ryan day has the higher of Ryan day has prevented that from happening that, that from dropping off. Last
0: thing I want to mention again, we do, we would direct people to read uh, this Zach Osterman story from the Indy star um, about that he wrote before Archie got fired that was sort of a post-mortem, as he says in the story. I'll give you the headline. The headline yeah, it's
1: just if you do a search for, like, soul-searching, I think that was, like, the key phrase there.
0: IU basketball demands much soul-searching as once iconic program erodes into mediocrity. So I would direct you there. It's behind a paywall, but you know what? Like, that's, like, a good program. I, I, it's one of those things that's hard sometimes. I get it. Some people don't like to pay for stuff, and we hope you pay for the stuff you really love. I do think it also kind of makes sense for, like, a, a, a Big Ten fan, to maybe pay, it's like, well, you care about Ohio State, you know, maybe, maybe you pay for Ohio State sites, maybe it's cleveland.com, maybe it's the dispatch, maybe it's one of the other sites at Ohio State that might have some stuff that's subscription.
1: Um, the dispatch may even have picked up that story, but I don't know. You could go yeah. check the dispatch site. If you have a dispatch membership, they may have picked up their same company. But, and you may, you know, but it also sometimes makes sense. It's like,
0: you know what, keep tabs on Michigan, you know, a couple bucks a month, keep tabs on Penn State, keep tabs on what's going on with the programs in the state of Indiana could be some value there. But what Zach wrote was one of these things that smart sports writers, write, Which is like, it's not the coach or it's not just the coach. It's the, there's something fundamental here. And the thing that he um, said is basically like they're stale. They're stuck in the past. He's talking about the student tickets are on the rafters, move the students down to the court. Like a lot of other big 10 programs do have more exciting game atmospheres. Do more on social media. You know, like he even mentioned the, the Indiana football program has put stuff out on Tom Allen, Allen locker room speeches and post game stuff and whatever that's given like Tom Allen and Indiana football some juice. And in a, in a way that he says Indiana basketball doesn't have. And I didn't realize that, but it's like you guys all know it. You guys have listened to this, have seen the Tom Allen stuff. And it makes you feel like, man, I might go play for Tom Allen. Have you ever seen Archie Miller stuff? So he's talking about a fundamental reset of bringing the program into the modern era. And I found that interesting. I didn't maybe realize that Indiana basketball trailed in that stuff. But I do think at times, actually, actually I was going to say, I think we can be dismissive of it. I actually don't think we are. I don't know that anybody is. Ohio State's pretty good at the juice. And the juice matters. Like, they are good on social media. They are good with the the little mini team documentaries they put out. They are good with the way they promote their players and they make their coaches with their post-game locker room celebrations and speeches seem cool and fun and connected to the players. And to me, Nathan, like we're so used to that at Ohio state. Like it's just part of what they do that. I might take it for granted. It surprises me that like a place like Indiana would be falling short there, but clearly Zach thinks that's an issue for them where they need to get better.
1: Yeah. I mean, just from my own perspective, having lived in that state, having covered bas- big time basketball in that state, I, a lot of that that he wrote about really resonated with me, that there isn't that same mystique with that program anymore. And I think that, I think people would probably say that even under those years, the the the, the Cooper years, Um, I obviously wasn't around for, you know, Earl Bruce years, but like, there was still a mystique to Ohio state, right? Like that never really, it may have waned, but it didn't disappear. And I feel like the Indiana mystique has disappeared. Well, I mean, they're, they're like, I mean, I ranked when we ranked that thing a few weeks ago, they were, I had them like, what, like very middle of the pack as far as like when I was ranking the football and basketball programs together in the big 10 is they don't win. They don't, they don't move the needle right now in the big 10 at all. And to say that about Indiana basketball, not only that they don't win, but that they are sort of forgettable is a huge indictment. And that's, there are things that you can do. I think he's right. That it's one thing to picking the coach, but you always pick the coach with the best intentions. I, I feel like you always, you know, when they hired Archie Miller, that seemed like a, a good hire, right? I mean, taking Dayton to an Elite Eight, he was winning 25 games a year. There was reason to believe that that was a solid hire. It just didn't work out. So you have to have your infrastructure and you have to have everything else set up so that at least you have that right. And that's something that the coach can build off of. Not that those two things together failing brings you down even farther. And that's what's happening with that program right now.
0: I also do think that's the responsibility of the coach to some degree. Like if, if you make fun, P.J. Fleck, right? And you think he's all sizzle and no substance. And I I think people have pulled back to that. They might think he's quite a bit of sizzle, but there's at least some substance there. You know what's bad? Zero sizzle. Like if you're just like a coach, like we're going to work hard and you have zero sizzle, like these days, I just don't think that's it, man. So it's like they need someone who's going to bring, who has substance, but you can't ignore the sizzle. And a coach can say, I I want the students on the floor tomorrow. This is what our pregame is going to look like. I'm going to spend this much money on a social media team. And if you don't like it, fire me. But like, this is how we're doing it. You have some control of that. And I think a smart, modern coach understands that. And if basketball at Indiana doesn't have that, part of that's on Archie Miller.
1: And I think if you're a smart, modern coach, even if they are old school and they are not built that way, I think they need to recognize how important that is and put the ops guy or the whoever in place that will care about that and will go get it done, who does recognize that and who doesn't have to coach the team. Like the guy who's like, listen, I'm a basketball junkie. I'm an X's and O's guy. I want to recruit and I want to develop. That's all I want to worry about. But I think you know what you're talking about in this other realm, social media, outreach, marketing, whatever, facilities, and you're my guy who's going to go take care of all that, I think that's what a smart modern coach does because I think they can't really get bogged down too much of it in themselves. You know, Ryan Day can't be thinking about that stuff too much himself, but he's got those guys behind the scenes who clearly do know what they're doing, men and women behind the scenes who can take care of that.
0: Yeah, you could just think, is it important or not? Is it a priority or not? Am I going to spend money on staff to do it? And am I going to be on people's butts about, Hey, wh- what, what social media thing you doing this week? Right. If you need to, you don't have to think about it, but you're a leader, you're the leader of the whole program. And that's not only on the AD, you can shape your program as how you want it to do. And I don't know that anybody's ever said it's a lack of resources in Indiana for Indiana basketball. That it's like, Oh, well, uh, somebody wanted to hire a social media guy and they wouldn't let him. I, that's not, that's not what the issue is in Indiana It's that they're stuck. So um they've got to get unstuck but maybe it's a little less of a not horror story but like warning right maybe maybe it's it's maybe that Ohio State it would have been harder maybe for Ohio State to head down that path maybe than I initially thought when I started making this comparison I still don't think it's impossible and I do think in a lot of ways people might say no well Indiana basketball is more like Michigan football well The issue is that in the past, they were like Ohio State football. Bo never won a national title. Bob Knight won three national titles, right? Like, that's the thing. It's like what they were at their peak was not just like the best program in the Big Ten that went and lost bowl games or went and lost in the postseason. They were a national power. I mean, they were as good as anybody in the country. And now maybe you would argue, well, what's happened since Knight is more like what has happened with Michigan football since Bo right, that they've sort of lost the mystique in a way that Ohio State football maybe never lost the mystique along the way, even when they were falling short of the Woody on-field standard. I think you made a good point with that, Nathan. I think some textures would push back on that to me, but I don't think what you can argue is that what Bo, not Bo, what Woody was as a, as a coach at Ohio State at the most important sport in a state. I mean, that's a direct comparison for states that share a border. Basketball in Indiana is to football in Ohio. So in that way, you were a championship national power at the sport that matters most for almost three decades for both of them. That's indisputable. And what's indisputable now is that Indiana has not recovered in the same way, although it's a reminder that Ohio State did take a little while. Like I would take – if I were Indiana, if I were the Indiana AD – I would take this comparison from the Indiana side of things and say, listen, Ohio State football once upon a time went 34 years between national titles and they got it back. We can get it back too. We need to find our Jim Trestle or our Urban Meyer. We can't settle for these other guys who are okay, but not good enough. And that's what they have to go get right now. They've got to go hire Scott Drew. Baylor's the one seed in Ohio State's bracket. It's the obvious hire. He's from Indiana. He didn't go to IU but he's been at Baylor for almost 20 years now, which blows my mind, 16 years or something. Winning at the highest level, you give him a billion dollars and you, and you have him come back and say, listen, by the way, you're not just coming back to X and O it and to recruit. We are reshaping what Indiana basketball is. You have an unlimited budget. We're going to make it fun, cool, exciting, immersive. We're going to get the students involved. We're going to get people in this state to live and die with Indiana basketball again. You got to win, man. You got to win, brother. You got to win. But we're going all in, and you're the guy. they got to get Scott Drew, and that's why they had to fire Archie. They had to fire Archie because they can't let this linger. Because it's been 34 years, so what are you going to wait? You know, it's 40 years since your last national title? You're going to wait half a century? Like, when
1: do you draw the line? Yeah, they had to draw this line. So as much as you said that this whole exercise kind of enlightened or further emphasized how important Tressel was, isn't this kind of now the Tressel meyer juncture potentially for them? No, I still think it's
0: the Tressel juncture because Tressel went to national title games. Tressel broke the streak. They can't jump right to Urban Meyer. Now, if we're talking to like Urban Meyer sizzle or whatever, I get it. Well, I'm just – Urban's a national winner the way, the way Scott Drew – Scott Drew might win the national title this year. I get that comparison, but I think for them – they're still at the – oh, maybe this is the point. They're still at the Trestle point, but maybe they're making a Meyer higher. Yeah, that, that may be a better way to look at it, yeah. But the other thing, too, is like, but Urban had Ohio connections. Trestle had Ohio connections, clearly. Scott Drew has, Ohio, has right. Indiana connections, so I think that's important. But I get your point, that maybe, you know, Trestle came from Youngstown State. That wasn't a national power. Urban came from Florida. Baylor now, basketball is a national power. So I get your point. But the bottom line is, they can't wait any longer to get it right. And like, if you're hesitating, it's like, at what point are you done? Like, you know who used to be a national power in football? Army. Like, they're never going to be it again, right? You know who, it's not, a, now I get it, but I mean, like you can say, well, that's different. I mean, okay, all I'm telling you is in the 40s, Army was awesome at football and they're not anymore. So, I, I, I mean, Nebraska football, Nebraska football. Nebraska's is I think actually
1: and, the example I would use, yeah.
0: They may never get it back. But we also, I think it's a little instructive to remember that 34 year time period for Ohio State and that if you are a national power, it's not that you can't let yourself completely fall off the map, but if you are decades and decades in to not living up to your previous standard, I think Ohio State is a reason for you to keep believing. And I think Ohio State is a model to follow, right? Right. Ohio State never fell off the map in football, and that's not what I intend, intend to say. But somebody had to get them back to being a national championship team, and they got there. And now it's hard to imagine them ever being that, not that again, right? Can you imagine a 30-year stretch if I told you it's going to be 34 years between Ohio State's 2014 national title and their next national title? Blow people's minds. What, what are you talking about? 34 years? That's what we're talking about. So I do think there's some hope. I think it's more – it's less of an Indiana to Ohio State, that Indiana maybe informs Ohio State less than I at first believed, but that Ohio State should inform Indiana's thinking, Nathan, as they go about this. Do you think – and we'll let you out of here because, you know, you've covered basketball, college basketball in the state of Indiana for a long time. Do you think they can get it back? Do you think Indiana can be a national power?
1: Yeah, I think they can. But I also think that from some of the things that, that Zach was writing about, that leadership is important. You know, we t- we mentioned last week that Ohio State was – they had to make the decision that they did with Ryan Day, partially because if you screw around with that, now all of a sudden you are uh, behind the A-ball a little bit and you're you're pressured into making bad decisions. And the administration at, Ohio, or at Indiana with their basketball hires, twice in the last couple decades has been pressured into – had been leveraged into making the wrong decision. And I, I think if they, they're going through a, a change in leadership there right now, actually the president is on his way out. So it's an interesting time for this to be happening, but they have a new AD. And so it's a new guy making a hire for the first time. It's, it's kind of fresh eyes on this situation. I'm intrigued by how he approaches this. I, I think this is where leadership is important. You have to make, you have to hire people for the right reasons. And um, I, I think that this, this program can get it back. Um, talking about Indiana basketball, but I think that what Zach wrote was really smart because I think it is more than just changing the name on the head coach thing. I think they have to modernize that program a little bit the way Ohio State has, I think, while keeping up with tradition and, and, and like really kind of digging into its traditions in a lot of really important ways, also modernize the program in other really important ways.
0: That's two podcasts in one. Uh, I said, be honest, we should have broken that up, but but we have so much to do the rest of this week with spring football around the corner. Nathan continues to write pieces on the site at cleveland.com slash OSU. That's breaking down by position, everything going on with Ohio state football, a couple questions about each position group going into spring. We're expecting to talk to Ryan day before spring practice officially begins on Friday. We're expecting to talk with people after they had the first spring practice on Friday. Steven is going to be covering the heck out of the NCAA tournament. The Buckeyes play their first game at 3 p.m. on Friday in Mackey Arena. Nathan Baird's old stomping grounds at Purdue against number 15, Oral Roberts. Uh, we'll have previews on that. Again, it's a great time to be listening to Buckeye Talk. When's it not? It's a great time to be reading cleveland.com OSU and a great time to try the text. 614-350-3315. We'll have Steven back on the podcast soon. For Nathan, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.